You know, there are certain words in the English dictionary, or some that aren't in the English dictionary, that have an, uh, an immediate emotional response. Moist. We don't like that word. It makes us feel weird. Clammy hands, moist. <laughs> yeah, moist cake is the best kind of cake. No one likes dry cake. It's probably the only time it's socially acceptable to use the word moist. <laughs> totes. Am I the only one when I hear totes? I'm like, oh, why do you say it? Why do you, don't say it. Okay, if you say totes, keep on going with your bad self. I won't judge you. But, you know, some of us might be like, why? Emotional immediate response. What about K when you're texting somebody? K. Stop it. I texted K, K the other day, so I stand, you know, I'm repenting right now in public. K. We don't like it. An emotional response immediately as it hits our ears. You know, oppression is one of those words. Oppression is one of those words. Many of us have an immediate response to this word. But I'm curious, are we aware of what it really means? Would we be able to define it? Some of us would be like, yes, of course I would. It's bad. It hurts people. I hate it. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. But what is it? What is oppression. I saw a post the other day of someone who was talking about how student loans, tuition, is oppressive. And as I was reading it, I, I, I couldn't help but think, is that truly what it is? If, is? Is something that you have chosen, something that you have chosen, I know how much tuition is about to cost me, is that oppressive? Because if that's the case, the Tillamook Rocky Road ice cream in my freezer is oppressive as all get out. <laughs> it's holding me down. <laughs> and so is that oppression? I don't think so. Here's the definition. The definition of oppression is the exercise of authority or power in a burdensome, cruel, or unjust manner. So oppression can be defined simply as an abuse of power. An abuse of power. This is the source, the word of God says, of the yoke that was burdening his people. Remember, he says, do away with the yoke of oppression. This was the source of the yoke. Abuse of power. So it stands to reason that we would spend some time looking at power and how we ought to handle it. Now, I want to make one thing clear. Power is not inherently bad. Power is not inherently bad. Power is used and is supposed to be used for people's flourishing, for caring, for, for creating change, for lifting people up. Power is meant to be used for a tool of good, bringing about shalom in God's land. So power is not inherently bad, but when viewed with a sense of scarcity, when viewed with a sense of scarcity, trouble is surely on the horizon. You know, this was the Israelite situation. When this was being written, Isaiah chapter 58, they were either in or fresh out of Babylonian exile, meaning that they were an oppressed people. They knew oppression full well. 
And as I think about this idea of scarcity and this yoke of oppression, God, why are you uh, rebuking the people for having this yoke? I can't help but think about their situation and how power was on limited supply. Power wasn't something that you came by, you know, easily or often. And so when they grasped power, they couldn't help but point fingers and speak maliciously to keep it, to hold on to it. And so this was the Israelite situation and why God was telling them to do away with that yoke of oppression. Stop abusing power and free up my people to do what I've called them to do, to flourish, rich, poor, marginalized and not, to flourish. You know, you might be sitting here this morning and saying, well, that's, that's great. They shouldn't have done that. They should repent. But Matthew, I don't have any power. I don't have any power. I beg to differ. Think about your roles as parents. You've got power. As a coach, you've got power. As a leader in any sort of, or sense, you've got power. You have power. Think about knowledge. The old adage is so spot on. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. Not only does it give you access to greater positions in life, but also sometimes there's people who want to know what you know and need you to know it. And so you can withhold from sharing the information they need. It's a way of exercising power. I have a friend who's a pastor and his church was trying to figure out the whole live stream and video situation. And he had a volunteer who was the only one in the church who knew how to go about videography. And he did it in a way that was incredibly confusing. The pastor didn't know what was going on. And when asked, the volunteer said, I won't tell you. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you. Why? Because he wanted to maintain his power. He knew he had power over the pastor. You're not going to get me out of this position, sir. Knowledge about influence. Who do you know? Who do you know? If I were to tell you, listen, I know Elon Musk. You might think me a little more important. I don't know the man. But if I did, I'd probably be driving a Tesla. Amen and amen. How many followers do you have on social media? TikTok, who's smashing your like buttons? And how many times they getting smashed on YouTube? Your followers, your media following. You have power if you have influence. Now, let's be realistic. Some of us have more power than others. But don't get it twisted. You have power. It may be an ounce. And it may be more. You have power. So that is why it is so important that we have this conversation and steer clear of abusing the power that we have been given. Now, if you will, take a moment and think about it. What power do you have? What power do you possess? Think about your roles. Think about your knowledge. Think about your influence. Think about it. What power are you holding? My follow-up question is simple. How are you holding it? How are you holding that power? Are you holding it with closed fist? 
Track with me for a second. Everyone, close your fist as hard as you can. As hard as you can. Clench it. Is this how you are holding on to the power that you have? Is this how you are holding on to the power that you have? My son Mooney is seven, eight weeks old. It's all a blur because we don't sleep. And uh, the other morning, you might be familiar with newborns and where I'm going with this. I was holding him and I was trying to put the binky in his mouth. But I was having the hardest time putting the binky in his mouth because he had a grip on the cord of the binky. (laughs) It took me a minute to release the grip. He had such a strong grip for such a little frame. He was holding on to it. And this is what some of us are like when it comes to power. We're holding on to it with the little finite frame we have. Clinching on to our power, trying to keep it because we believe that it's on scarce supply, leads us to doing what the Lord is saying not to. Stop pointing fingers, he says. When we're clinching onto power, we start to point fingers. Us versus them. We start buying into the tribalistic rhetoric that only seeks to divide between us and them. And we begin to say it's their fault. It's their fault. They're the problem. It's them over there, not me. It's the Democrats. It's the Republicans. It's the progressives. It's the conservatives. It's the vegans. It's the rest of the world. It's us versus them. We continue to sustain that yoke when we clinch on to the power that we have. When grasping our power and our position, it leads us to speaking wickedly, as the word says, maliciously. Look at those people over there. I can't believe them. That person right there, unfit for the promotion. Why? Look at them. Look at her. We speak wickedly and maliciously, trying to hold on to our power. This posture, this grip, will only sustain the yoke that the Lord is talking about here. Will only sustain the yoke on God's people. It will only sustain the yoke on our land, so divided and torn. When we're gripping on to our power, It only maintains that which the Lord wants us to have freedom from. When we're vying for power to influence others to the position and kibosh all other sides, we're only maintaining this yoke. Again, I think the major contributor here and what we see in the text is that this is predicated on a scarcity mindset. A scarcity mindset. There's not enough power to go around, or if I come along or come across power, I have to maintain it. Why? Because power is what defines my worth. Power is what makes me feel important. Power is what keeps me away from the people that will hurt me. And so we maintain it with this scarcity mindset. It's on limited supply. My provision, my worth, my protection is on limited supply. You know, I can't help but go back to that illustration with my newborn. Many of us are more like Mooney than we would like to admit. Holding on with every ounce of strength we have to the little bit of power that we possess. 
in our weak, fragile, finite selves, holding it back from the help and aid of our Father who provides all things, who's the the source of our worth and identity, holding it back from him, clenched fist and all. And what the Lord is asking us to do is simple. Open your hand. Open your hand. This posture that we have, this grip that we have, needs to be opened. This is what the word of the Lord says. And if you spin yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. And so if we're not closed-fisted, we're open-handed, and we aren't looking out for ourselves, just serving ourselves and our selfish ambition, but we are pouring ourselves out for others, for the needy, for the oppressed. Now, you might be sitting here like, well, what does that mean? We just relinquish all power? Is all power bad then? You said it wasn't, but what do I do with it? It has this, the, 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 the potential to hurt people, so do I just relinquish it? No. I'm not just going to relinquish my position to my son because power. It would be fun for a few weeks, but I, I don't know. I don't know what would, what would come of that. Do you just release your power, relinquish the power that you have at work to somebody who you know would wreak havoc on your company? Some of you are like, yes, I would love to do that. I hate where I work. (laughs) No. Does Pete Carroll just relinquish his power to coach the Seahawks to my mother? No. It wouldn't be wise. It wouldn't be smart. It wouldn't propel the team forward. And so we have to shift our perspective on power, not do away with it. We have to shift our perspective of power and not do away with it. And so what is the perspective on power that we ought to have? Simple. One word sums it all up. Steward. You're a steward of your power. Just like you're a steward of your finances, you're a steward of your power. When we acknowledge and internalize the truth that we are just stewards of all the things we have, then it changes our relationship with said thing. When you realize that you're a steward of your finances and you're stewarding it on God's behalf, then you're more quick, more prone to generosity. You're more prone to investing in other people, investing in God's kingdom. The same is true with our power. When you realize that your power has been given you by God to bring about his kingdom in this world, other people's flourishing, it changes your perspective on it. It changes your perspective on power. I can't think of a better example of uh, people in positions of power living open-handedly with it, pouring themselves out for the other than mothers. Mothers have positions of power. They can withhold the food needed for the baby. They can put their babies in precarious situations. They could do all sorts of things, yet they choose in their power to spend themselves on the needy, to spend themselves on the newborn the toddler, the children. I've seen it. You've seen it. Sleepless nights. Not eating when you want to eat because they got to eat. Dealing with screaming in the car. 
when they want their way and they can't have it. Dealing with meltdowns in public. Mothers spend themselves for their children. They have the power to do really harmful things, to maintain their peace of mind, to maintain their, their, their capacity, their headspace, but they give it away for their children. This is a picture of what the Lord is calling us to do, to not have a scarcity mindset when it comes to power, but an abundance mindset. An abundance mindset. An abundance mindset, as it pertains to power, says, this is not where I get my worth. I have it on, on tenfold from the Lord. This is not where I get uh, uh, my position. I have my identity in the Lord. This is not what defines me. I am defined by the Lord. In fact, this isn't even my power. It's his power through me. So I submit it to the Lord. And it's an abundance mindset. It differs from the scarcity mindset. And when we begin to perceive power in this way, we're able to open our hands finger by finger to how the Lord will ask us to leverage our power for the good, for the good of Tacoma, for the good of our family, for the good of our friends, for the good of our neighbors, for the good of our coworkers, for the good of our city. When we open our hands, we live for the good. Why? It's a sign of submission. Lord, it's yours. He asks for the same thing in all atmospheres, in all areas of our life, our relationships, our thought life, the way we entertain ourselves, our money, our sexuality, our perspectives, our power. He asks us to come to him with open hands. And trust that his ways are higher than ours. And here's what happens when we do. Here's what happens when we do. Then, says the Lord, then if you remove the yoke of oppression, you stop talking bad, you stop pointing fingers, you start spending yourself for the other, setting the oppressed free, then, says the Lord, your light will arise in the darkness. And your night will become like the noon day. Last week, we looked at uh, a similar image of the righteous as being a, a, a rising sun, emanating in the world, illuminating the world, pushing back darkness. That's not what this is about. This right here is saying, in your darkness, in your night, it will become like noonday. In your, in your terrible circumstances, when you don't know how you're going to pay the bills, when you lost your job, your light will be like that of a noonday. The darkness, the night, doesn't hold claim on you because the Lord is with you. When we give ourselves to the Lord open-handedly, our night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will guide you. He will guide you through his spirit. He will guide you through his word. He will guide you through prayer. He will guide you through his community that he has given you called the church. He will guide you as you walk with open hands following the Lord. 
He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, in a desert where there is no shade, where there is no water, where there is no food. He will sustain you there. When you feel like you've got nothing going for you, when you're feeling parched, where you're feeling worn out, he will provide for you in that space. And he will strengthen your frame. And he will strengthen your frame. There may not be enough protein or carbohydrates for the gains, but he will strengthen your frame in a sun-scorched land. And you will be like a well-watered garden. It's gardening seasons, right? You see them all over the place. Think about the lush ones. Imagine the lush ones. Frank and I, we were talking about mustard spinach and kale before we got here. And he showed me a picture of this giant thing of kale. Imagine that in your mind's eye. The kale, the rhubarb, the broccoli, the tomatoes, the zucchini, the cucumbers. Just emanate with life. That's you. A well-watered garden. When you submit your ways to the Lord and open your hands. And you will be like a spring whose waters never fail. Whose waters never fail. Life and life in abundance. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up age-old foundations. And get this. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Your identity as you open your hands to the Lord, operating out of an abundance mindset, submitting yourself to him, your identity is as restorer and repairer. People will know you as one that restores and repairs, who cares for the other more than you care for yourself, who loves God and loves neighbor. You will be known for it. It will be your identity. Now, you might be sitting here wondering, well, how do we even get there? How do we even get to that point? Life is tough. I feel like I've been living in a sun-scorched land all my life. How do we get to this place where we release the grip? I believe the only way we can truly be open-handed with our power is through understanding the one who went before us. By looking to the one who gives us the highest example of it. By looking to Jesus, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself as a servant in taking on our sin and our suffering, even to the point of death on a cross. This is our example, the highest example of being open-handed with position, God incarnate, God in flesh, opening his hands, opening his hands and, and replacing them with nails on that cross. This is the highest example who would spend himself, every part of him on that cross, taking on our sins and dying for three days. But his night would not remain night. It would become noonday as he rose from that grave as he rose from the grave he became our noonday light and in the sun scorched land he came and he gave life 
and life abundantly to all who would come to him. He is our true restorer. He is our repairer. And he does just that as, he, as we accept him, as we come to him, as we place our trust in him. He will restore. He will repair. And he will transform. He will break the chains that are shackled to you, chained to the darkness. He will break the chains and give you life. And life abundantly, he says. As we replace the yoke of oppression with his yoke that is easy and light. Do you know him? Do you know him? Have you experienced that yet? Have you experienced his restoration? Have you experienced his repair work on your heart? If you haven't, I want to extend an offer to you this morning to come to him. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have it all worked out. You don't have to have raise your hands and worship just yet. You don't have to have it all worked out. He wants you where you're at. He wants you where you're at. And he wants to usher you into a new way of life. So if that's you this morning, I'd love to meet you in the back. And listen, if you've been following Jesus for a minute, you're like, okay, I've been there. I've done that. Now what? My charge is simple. My charge is simple. Release your grip. Release the grip and live for the good. Amen? God, we love you. We thank you. Thank you that you are for us. God, we thank you that you did not clench your power, but you opened your hands and served those whom you made. Lord, we thank you that you healed the blind, that you touched the leper, that you uplifted the woman, God, we thank you that you did not leverage your power against us, but you leveraged it for us. God, we thank you that you did not leverage your power against us, but you leveraged it for us. Lord, I pray that we would emulate that posture. As we go out, as we go celebrate Mother's Day over brunch, as we go spend time with family members, coworkers, neighbors, where we emulate that type of power. We pray in your mighty name, Jesus.